Hello, welcome to Achayim. And we're having a special Tisha B'Av lecture sponsored by Mr. Jason Wasser. Thank you very much, Jason. And the title today is Healing Through Mourning. Tisha B'Av is a day of mourning. We've been mourning ever since the destruction of the temple year after year. And today we're going to be discussing the healing powers of mourning. Mourning does carry a very strong healing powers in it. Nevertheless, especially in the Western Hemisphere, we pretty much have been taught to run away from those emotions, from those feelings. Um, we look to numb them, numb them in all different various ways, some of them very unfortunate. And what happens is that not only don't we have the blessing that God plants within the morning, but rather, unfortunately, we have, a take a, we have it take us to very, very bad places. What we're looking today to discuss is something very contrary to the way we are being brought up in America. Not to run away from mourning, but rather to embrace the mourning and to find the gift of healing within mourning. If you run away from mourning, then obviously the entire experience is lost to you. So let's talk about this. What exactly could be healing about mourning? When you mourn, what's there to be healing about mourning? Yes, it is true, people who we should never know from it, uh, but God forbid we sit Shiva for a parent, for a loved one, and we find very often people, people who have never had contact with uh, Jewish observance, Torah observance, and they find, wow, this was genius. The seven days of mourning creates a very strong healing process. It allows you to be able to connect with the, with the community on that level of healing, and then go ahead from there and experience what the healing of mourning is. But what exactly is the healing of mourning? And in order to understand what the healing of mourning is, we're going to have to first discuss what mourning is. What is to mourn? What happens when you mourn? So let's step back for a second and talk about this, okay? Something I learned actually today in my own personal experiences. Mourning is very unique because you cannot mourn for something you never had. Let's go over this. You cannot mourn for something you don't have. Someone who was rich and God forbid the wheel of fortune turned on him, he can mourn over the loss of wealth. Someone that has a relationship and the relationship is terminated, he or she can mourn over that relationship. But someone who never had a relationship can't mourn over a relationship. Someone who was never wealthy can't mourn about wealth. Yes, in Fiddle on the Roof, we have, you know, he's krechsing. What would be so bad if Tevye too had some money? But that's not mourning, that's yearning. That's very different. You can yearn for something that you never had. You heard that it exists and you yearn for it. You can't mourn something that you never had, which is probably the most difficult part of Tisha B'Av for you and I. The average Jew does not live with the existence of the Holy Temple. Righteous people do. Righteous people live day in and day out in their prayers. They pray and they pray and they pray. Because they're living with the reality of the Holy Temple. And then, when we talk about the destruction of the Holy Temple, they're in mourning. But for most of us, it's pretty much impossible to mourn for the Holy Temple. 
We don't know what it means to have the holy temple. We don't know what it means to have that relationship with Hashem. And therefore we try to picture in our mind. And one of the strongest emphasis in the teachings of Hasidus is to realize that the holy temple does exist. And we, if we can key in to the existence of the holy temple today, we have a foundation on which to mourn the destruction of the physical holy temple in Jerusalem. But for most of us that are involved in stocks with our boats and all the other good stuff in life, and all of a sudden Tisha B'Av, we're going to mourn the holy of the temple. How exactly are we going to mourn the holy temple? What do we remember that we feel that we lost? Mourning is associated with losing. If we never had the holy temple, we never experienced the holy temple, we're not in tune with that consciousness of God's existence and revelation that exists only within the temple, then how exactly are we mourning? We could yearn. We learn about it. We learn about the great sages in the times of the temple, the prophets. We learn about the laws of the holy temple. We learn Mesech the Midis. We learn these stuff and we say, wow, that must have been an awesome time for the Jews. What an amazing relationship with God to be able to actually, after you did a sin, go to the temple of God, bring your sacrifice, picture that it's you, not the animal, and thanking God for that opportunity to be able to do teshuva. Yeah, you think about that, you learn that, and you yearn. The famous Spanish word, ojalá. You yearn. If only I too can experience that. But we can't call that mourning. You cannot mourn a relationship you never had. And many people, I've seen this many times in shiva houses, where a child will unfortunately start really beating up on themselves that they never had a relationship with their parent. Because if you don't have a relationship with your parent, you can't shiva mourn. Because you're supposed to be mourning a loss. You can't mourn a loss that you don't have. And all of a sudden they feel the nakedness and the emptiness of never having this relationship with their parent. And instead of mourning, they're yearning. If only I would have had that relationship. If only I wouldn't have had that fallout three and a half decades ago and then cut off the relationship and so forth and so on. So what I'm trying to share with you here is, by definition, mourning first demands for us to recognize that which we did have. You cannot begin the mourning process with recognizing what you don't have. You must begin the mourning process with a very clear consciousness of what did I have that I lost today. And that's why in Shiva homes, the process is most often of recounting and reliving golden moments that we had with the person who passed away. Because without touching those golden moments, without becoming crystal clear that these are the moments that we have, we will not be able to mourn. The same thing happens in relationships. In relationships, when you have a relationship, whatever it may be, spouse, friend, best friend, whatever it may be, when you have a relationship, if you're not crystal conscious, clear, of what the relationship you have when the relationship terminates, you cannot mourn it. It's only when you have a very clear, tangible feeling of what this relationship was and what it means can you actually embrace 
the mourning of that relationship. Very often, you know the famous saying, you don't know what you have until you lose it. Because you never sat down to consciously embrace in gratitude what you have until you're trying to mourn the loss of it. And the only way to, to mourn the loss of it is to, like I said, become crystal clear conscious of what you had. And that's the reason why very often we don't know what we have until we lost it. Because then in the mourning process, we sit down, stop. Stop taking for granted. Stop denying the gratitude. And really embrace, what did I have? I want to touch one more point of mourning. You know, I speak very much about recovery. In recovery, there's a very interesting process. Regardless of how much the recovering addict presently despises his poison and the norm of all addicts is let's just talk about alcoholics for a moment be easy for us to connect with in the alcoholics most alcoholics will tell you the relationship with alcohol was a very interesting one it was great while it lasted but then it turned against me and when it turns against you it becomes hell the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe says in his famous book, Kuntas Umayin, he talks about that that is exactly how Klippa works. Klippa, the other side, the evil, the dark side, will entertain you and shower you with pleasure in order to be able to nurse from your actions. Klippa cannot nurture from the interior divine light of God but only from the exterior forces because it is a creation of exterior and therefore it cannot nurse from the interior. The interior is a face-to-face, -face, loving, committed relationship. Klippa and evil doesn't have that. So they have to nurture from the external, but they're yearning for more than what they deserve. The only way they can get more than they deserve is to take a person who has a face-to-face -face relationship with God, get that person to sin, when the person sins, his soul gets dragged into the sin. Once the soul is dragged into the sin, the evil dark side can latch its fangs into it. And now it's nursing from something it should have never had. So it showers you and entertains you. It shows you that the good life, the fun life, right? If some of us behave, the rest of us have fun. That's the normal attitude we have. And then what happens is that once his fangs are deeply embedded, once you belong to him, evil turns against you and all of a sudden you're forced to acknowledge step number one we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and life has become unmanageable that is hell you will not see a guy who had a great solid time glowing and smiling from ear to ear walk into a recovery room the person walking into the recovery room is broken really broken so you would think to yourself, no, this guy is not going to mourn or this girl is not going to mourn their binges because they know all too well what the binges were like. They know the hell that awaits them. So why would they even mourn? It would be good riddance, hasta mañana, goodbye. And yet, the process and the recovery demands the person should mourn. I heard it from one recovering person and very, said very beautifully, she said, it's like a mole you have on your face that you're going to have surgically removed. But you're now, just pick a number, 38 years old, 
for 38 years that mold was on your face. You non-consciously played with it. It became like one of your tics when you're thinking or when you have an emotion, you turn to your mole, but you always wanted to get rid of that mole. You got rid of that mole, and now you have to get used to you without the mole. You're actually mourning over that mole. So regardless that you by choice got rid of it because it bothered you, but it takes a while to get used to you without the mole. You look in the mirror and there's something off. What changed? Mourning is a very strong part of recovery. So mourning is not just about a holy temple. Mourning is not just about a relationship with another. Mourning is actually about a relationship with yourself, even a not so ay 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 one. Because you embrace who you were, you embrace something that they say in the 12-step program. We have come to learn that that which did us well in the past does not serve us well today. Alcoholics turned to alcohol because it served them well. They couldn't deal with reality. They couldn't deal with their awkwardness. They couldn't deal with being not accepted. And yada, 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 yada. So alcohol served them well, actually, until it turned against them. But they need to embrace that we have come to learn that which has served us well in the past does not serve us well today, and we need to learn new tools. But dropping those tools demands a mourning. Let's not talk about addicts. Let's talk about simple childhood. So little Yankel was the clown of the class. Everyone loved, they laughed at him, with him. He was just happy. And then one day he had the sit-down talk, and he really realized, this isn't going to work well for me. You know, it got me all the credit I wanted. It got me invited to all the fun stuff. Everyone thought I was cool. They say in Yiddish, I was the guy to turn to, but this isn't working well for me. I'm growing up. I need to buckle down. I want to start a family. I want to start a life. I want to be able to put together a couple of nickels together, know how to budget. I, I just don't want to live like this no more. I'm tired of being the clown. I'm tired of being laughed at. I'm tired of not being taken seriously. What happens when the guy comes back to class? Forget about that the person, the other people, are going to now have a hard time taking him seriously. There's going to be this transformational change. But more than that, he himself mourns that cute, careless, fun-loving clown. It isn't easy for a clown to start taking life seriously. Let's talk about another example, and then we'll move on. What's about the girl? You have this very often, and I talk about it in the uh, Orthodox high school for girls. What's about the girl that has learned very interesting enough that when you go by a cell phone for just a little bit of a flirt, you got yourself the free case, you got yourself the free headphones, it works. What's about the girl who knows with just a half a little twinkle with the eye, she got herself free drinks. And then she decides, I don't like that. I don't like the way my body is being treated. I don't like the way my mind is being mistreated. I don't like this. I want to change. Yeah, it's worked me well. That girl mourns because now she pays for everything she wants. <laughs> but that girl mourns it. But mourning means that you embrace that which you had. It means you embrace how what you had served you. You embraced how beautiful it was. 
So we talk about mourning versus yearning. The first step of mourning is to sit down and fully embrace the beauty that we had that now was taken away. So here let's stop a moment and let's talk about the first healing process that mourning offers us. It actually brings us what they call in recovery, gratitude is attitude. Most of us, especially Jews, we are super professional in the quetching society. We quetch. Nothing's ever enough. We were brought up like that. We're bringing others up like that. And we deal with ourselves like that. Who has time for gratitude when there's so much more that the other person has that I don't have yet? So the first thing mourning does is it really stops us from quetching. It gives us the most amazing healing power that exists on planet Earth. And you don't buy it in the drugstore, you buy it in attitude. And it's called gratitude. It is amazing what a little bit of gratitude will do to so much pain, hurt, and suffering. Mourning demands gratitude. If you don't have gratitude, you have nothing to mourn. It's that simple. Let me share with you a cute story they told us in yeshiva. You have the rich man and the poor man. They serve the steak to the rich man and the poor man. The poor man's very excited. He's eating with all ten fingers. The rich man just looks and barely nods to the guy for in a thank you, and he's eating. And everything's perfect. The poor man looks like a total beast. Sauce all over him. And the, the rich man looks like he doesn't really care. My teacher said, ah, try this. Take away the steak from the poor man and take away the steak from the rich man. You take away the, store, the steak from the poor man. He never really connected with it. It was good while it lasted. And okay, better luck next time. Watch what happens if you take away the rich man's steak. All of a sudden you're hearing from him. Because he does expect, he does know that this is his. Now what happens is that if it's really taken away from him, permanently, God forbid, it's the first time he stops to think. You know how awesome it is that the food bank has so much work to do with people and I had steak whenever I wanted? I never even stopped to thank God for that. I just took it as entitlement. I deserved that. So the first healing process, the first step in the healing process of mourning, it demands of you to stop and acknowledge and be grateful for what you had, something you never did until you lost it. Step number one in healing through mourning. Interesting. We don't pay attention to this usually. We have very little differentiation between yearning and mourning. They're both dying for, they want. Very different. One has to be built on gratitude. You don't mourn what you didn't appreciate. And most often, we start appreciating in the process of mourning. That's healing. I want to talk about step two of the healing process. It's a three-step, uh, four-step program here. Step number two. In the mourning process, we have very much so the experience of extremists. There's the child who's in absolute denial that his or her parent died. They just in denial. Done. I'm in denial. Then there's the other side that doesn't want to hear about nothing. Gone, dead, buried. We move on. 
you sit your shiva, you do your shloishim, then go for the year, do your kaddish annually, and done. Before high holidays, your side, go to the grave, but you live once, you die, and let it go. Move on. Then there's other person's absolute denial. The grave is empty. It's not really true. You got both that are really very mentally in an unhealthy situation. What is healthy? Healthy in the process of mourning is to sit down and really, really, really take out the books and start doing your balancing. What did I lose and what didn't I lose? Now I'm going to share with you a story. There's a family in Crown Heights, we should never, never know from it. They lost a child to leukemia, a young girl. I actually knew the girl. She used to stand every time by the Fabrengen, the Rebbe, week after week, would give her special attention. And the girl, Nebuch, only God can have this done. The girl totally cured from leukemia, totally cured from leukemia, but the body was so weak, she got out of bed, she fell, banged her head, and died. It's just horrible. And there was a shiva process. In the hospital, they bring, what happens in the, in the community is, when Nebuch, such a thing happens, you usually look for other people that Nebuch went through it because like you know in the recovery rooms, you want to talk to someone who's been there, done that. I don't want to hear what you read from Freud to, to I don't know what. Give me someone who's been there in the flesh. So they bring that. They bring families because they bond differently. So this woman who didn't really know the family but went through the same unfortunate, painful situation in the hospital room asked the woman, how many kids did you have? How many kids do you, ha do you have? I'm sorry. And the mother answered, now I have five. And the woman turned white and said, don't ever say that. Just because your child passed away does not mean that she is not your child and you're not the child's mother. Very powerful. Very, very powerful. It is amazing that there's someone in this community who lost a husband, does not make sponsor the Kiddush for the day of the yard site, actually sponsors the Kiddush for the day of his birthday. I love that. We need to be very clear. A person whose father dies doesn't have a father. A person whose mother died doesn't have a mother. What greater proof do we need that you say Yisker for your mother or father? So you have a mother, you have a father, and the father's soul did not die. The mother's soul did not die. But if I'm going to use the one I always use, it's the example of having a leased car. You return the car, but you get out of the car. So if we look at the body and the physical vehicle as a leased car that you return back to God, but you get out of the car. So it's very problematic. You do have a father, but you don't have a father. You do have a mother, but you don't have a one mother. You do have a spouse, but you don't have a spouse. Because to say that you don't have a father is wrong. To say that you have a father, you can go out to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee and schmooze and discuss with him the difficulties of life and just journeys and everything, that's also false. So the second healing process of mourning is to clearly define what did I lose and what do I still have. Very important process. For the person who writes off a parent when they died, is just suffering and mourning for what they didn't lose. For the person who still wants to believe that they can pick up the phone and talk to their parent, the person is in absolute denial and not capable of mourning what he or she did lose. What's healthy about mourning is that after I know what I did have, 
I now need to clearly understand what I lost and what I didn't lose. And that, and that is the process two, step two of mourning. To understand I do have a parent, I did have a parent, I always, have, I always will have a parent, but no, I cannot call them up, I cannot go out to coffee with them, but yes, I can feel them, I can hear them, and I can live my life with them alive within me. Step number two in the healing of mourning. Mourning really demands that after you realize what you had, be very clear of what you did lose and what you didn't lose. The famous saying, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The bathwater was taken away, the baby wasn't. Now we go to step number three. Step number three is when I realize what I had and I realize what I have, I realize how I have to redefine my relationship with what I had. Because I have it differently than I had it. I don't mean to be tongue twisting here, but I want to say that again. Redefining my relationship with what I had to what I have because I don't have what I had. But I do have what I do have. The person whose father or mother, after six decades of life, ceases to communicate and be a guidance, the person who after six decades of hearing a parent tell them how to live their life, what their family's legacy is, who cannot close their eyes in a moment of doubt and say, what would dad tell me? is a serious issue. There is that communication. It's just done differently. So step number three in the mourning process is, after you realize what you had, after you realize what you still have but what you don't have, you now need to redefine your relationship with what you had. We had the Holy Temple, we don't have the Holy Temple, and yet the Holy Temple eternally lives within each and every one of us. So we need to now know how do we go to the Holy Temple today? It isn't by camelback to Jerusalem. I had my parents, I have until 120, both my parents, but the person had their parents, doesn't have their parent, but still has their parent, so we need to redefine how do we sit down with a cup of coffee and have a father-to-son talk, a mother-to-daughter talk. Because woe to the person who buried their parents and stop having parent-child talks. So the third process in the healing of mourning is to force yourself to accept what you had, accept what you have and what you don't have, and then very consciously redefine how you relate to what you have now. So it isn't a cell phone bill, it's actually a very deep emotional bill to communicate with a parent. The fourth and final step. The fourth and final step I want to, I want to refer and base it on a teaching in the Talmud concerning inheritance. In the laws of inheritance, there's a very, very, very interesting detail. Our sages say 
that the inheritance does not come down to the inheritor, rather the inheritor lifts up to the inheritance. It makes a difference in Jewish law in certain cases, but I want to I re-explain re, uh, that. So normally you would say father died, son receives the inheritance. The inheritance comes down from parent to child. Yet the Talmud's verdict is it does not happen that way, but rather the child is lifted up to the seat of the parent. A very important difference in the mourning process of a parent or anything you've lost. To be able to understand that nothing is lost. Let's talk about the rule in physics. Energy is neither created or destroyed, it's just transformed. When you talk about the process of what happens to you in mourning, it's the demand of you to lift up to that position which you feel that you lost. Interesting. I wrote about it in my uh, Tisha B'Av email that I sent out, my personal Tisha B'Av email. In ACA, which is for adult children of alcoholics, they focus very much on the inner child, the wounded inner child, and then they talk about a very beautiful process, which is becoming your own inner parent. You become the parent you feel you never had. So if the parent couldn't make you feel loved, you learn how to do that to yourself. It's within our capacity, and that is actually the process of mourning. You know, you think about what happened to the Rebbe in 1950 to 1951. The Rebbe was very deeply mourning the loss of his Rebbe. And the difficult process of that year that the Rebbe was publicly fighting against, threatening if they don't leave him alone, that he's going to leave and no one will know where he is, he was fighting to be lifted up into the seat of his Rebbe. But that is the reality of mourning. Mourning demands that in the laws of physics, nature abhors vacuum. As the famous saying goes, if you don't take control of your life, someone else will. Nature abhors vacuum. And if you're mourning a loss and you leave it with a vacuum, it won't remain a vacuum for long. And you'll have lost your destiny to become that which you have lost. So in the process of mourning, the Mishnah says, where there is no men, strive to become a man. Jewish people don't cry over the loss of the past. We always find those who are capable to become those who sit in the positions of those that we mourn from the past. In our own life, we need to do the same thing. If you're mourning over a dysfunctional relationship with a parent, you need to become that functional parent. If you're mourning your father who was your life, soul, blood, who passed away, you need to become that father. If you're mourning a love relationship over that person who was able to shower such unconditional love to you, you need to become that lover who can shine upon yourself unconditional love. If you're mourning the good times that alcohol gave you, 
you need to become the sober good times that alcohol has given you. If we're mourning the presence of God in the holy temple, we need to become that holy temple in which the presence of God stands very consciously. As our sages say, that from the day of destruction of the temple, the presence of God has moved into the place of learning Torah. The place of God's revelation was in the ark in the Holy of Holies. In the ark was the Ten Commandments, the Torah. Your brain needs to become that ark. You need to put Torah into your brain. And then you'll feel that you are becoming the holy temple. And God's presence lives within you. You walk holding hand to hand with God. Your heart needs to become the altar in which repentance is done. And so forth and so on. So I want to go over quickly the four steps. Step number one. You can't mourn before you finally acknowledge with gratitude that which you had. So the first step of mourning is to acknowledge with gratitude that what you had that you never realized you had until you lost it. But it's never too late. You can realize it now in your mourning process. Step number two. Clearly define what was lost and what was not lost. Do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. You're not burying your father or your mother. You're burying your father or mother's body, not their legacy and not the parent that they have become to you. The legacy, the pillar of strength, the unconditional love, the guidance. After you clearly define what you still have and what you lost, then you need to work on the third step in the process of recovery in healing through mourning, and that is to redefine how you relate to what you have because you can't relate to what you have the way you had it, only the way you have it. Don't pick up the phone. Don't try to take your dad out for coffee. It's different today. So don't throw out the baby. Don't say that you don't have a father. Don't say you can't communicate with your father. Just redefine the relationship. And then ultimately realize that nature abhors vacuum. The place that you mourn is waiting to be filled. And if you're the one mourning it, it's waiting for it to be filled by you. The child becomes the father. The Jew in exile becomes the holy temple. The man who's lost his lover becomes his or her own lover. The alcoholic that's lost, the recovering alcoholic that's lost those great times in South Beach, he becomes those great times. That's what Tisha B'Av can become. It's not about mourning what you never had. It's about gratitude for what you had, understanding what you have, redefining how you must relate to that which you have, and become that which you are mourning for. Guys, thank you. We're going to dive in my and end our fast.